This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, episode 55. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Graham. Welcome back to another episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. I am your host, Brian Hood. I am here with my lovely, beautiful co-host, exciting, just... Just a great, great man. Just a good dude. Just, you know what? All funny aside, just a genuinely great guy, Chris Graham. Oh, shucks, Brian. How are you doing today, Chris? Well, I'm not doing good now because I have to like, one, my voice just cracked. And two, <laughs> I have to reciprocate about how great you are. And so let me skip that. Hold on. I don't know your fiance. I haven't met her. I haven't talked to her. My wife doesn't know your fiance. She hasn't met her. She hasn't talked to her. But we love her. Right? We Isn't love that, her. Yep. Yep. She seems awesome. At she least is. the way she presents herself on the internet as we have stalked her as a couple. She's as funny in person as she is online. Well, you must be pretty great if you're worthy of her. So I don't want to brag, but yeah, I mean I'm kind of <laughs> I'm kind of amazing. No, she's awesome. She's beautiful. She's lovely. She's funny. She's smart. She's talented. And she's gonna be my wife on March second. So Yes, you have a date. I didn't even know that. That's fantastic. Ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Yeah, that's pretty fast, man. That's that's way to go. Yeah, so I actually want to take this time to publicly ask you if you'd be willing to be in my wedding party for my wedding, Chris Graham. Would you be willing to be in my wedding party, buddy? Fuck yes. See, Chris Graham never cusses. When he does, you know he's serious. Absolutely. I am. My heart's a flutter, sir. Oh, I would buddy. love to. Okay, Thank good, you. good. I could not have a wedding without my buddy, Chris Graham. Oh, man. Yes. Yes. Well, cool, yes. dude. I'm glad you can do it, man. Yeah, man. Thanks. I wasn't planning Thank on asking you. you on air, but I was like, screw it. This is a good time to ask. So Delightful. Yeah. My wife's going to be really excited about that. Yeah. I'm glad you're you're going to bring her, right? Oh, yeah. Duh. Okay. Good, 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 good. Because I've not met her in person yet. She seems wonderful. Oh, yeah. You're going to like her. She's amazing. Well, let's get out of personal land. Let's get into business land. Let's talk about today's episode on the podcast because we have a doozy for you. We always come at you with some good stuff. But today I think is it's a topic that everyone is affected by this, but very few are self-aware enough to know that they are part of this problem. And the problem is this. Most people at some point in their careers, if not currently, are just ripping off other people in the audio world. Whether you're a mixing engineer and you're ripping off your favorite mixing engineer, you're a mastering engineer and you're just ripping off the sound of your favorite mastering engineer, or you're a music producer, a songwriter, and you're just ripping off songs that other music producers or other songwriters do. No matter who you are, you have likely been a person that has done this. And I know this because anyone that's successful that I've talked to at least started their career out just ripping off their favorite producer or their favorite mixing engineer, their favorite songwriter. That's how I started. That's how Chris got his start. Yep. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's a good way to learn early on. But what the danger that we see all the time, even in our own community, stuck. is that you get stuck in that early phase of just ripping off your favorite person. And the danger lies when you never get out of that phase. So today's episode, I want to talk about these three specific stages in your career. This is what you're going to experience as a producer or mixing engineer. As an audio professional, you're going to experience this. And this is also what you're going to experience with the artists you're working with. So you need to watch for this on both sides of the equation. The phases are imitation is phase one, innovation is phase two, and then domination is phase three. All of us that have been successful or had some amount of success have gone through those three stages. 
And any of us that have worked with successful bands have worked with bands who have gone through those three stages as well. It's both sides of this. So we really have to discuss this on both sides. Yep. Well, this is such an intense conversation because not only is it important if you're going to have any longevity in audio, do you have to figure out how to move past imitation, move into innovation, and then develop your reputation (laughs) as an innovator. It's only once you do that I promise we didn't like put that much effort into trying to like make this all rhyme. It just happened to rhyme, but it's cute. It's an absolutely essential ingredient for longevity. The other component here that's super duper duper important is there's this dynamic of when you're working with bands that are trying to imitate, you know, they're like, can you make a sound just like XYZ band? That is a considerably different process to try to figure out how to make There's a band that's kind of gaining a little bit of popularity right now that sounds exactly like Led Zeppelin. Exactly like Led Zeppelin. It would be much more challenging to work with a band who has that high watermark of like, hey, can you make us sound like Led Zeppelin in their prime? It's like, oh, shoot. Okay, I can try. I'm going to have to figure out how they did that with technology that's now obsolete and is expensive and or impossible to get. Like, it's just, it's a very challenging thing. As opposed to if a band walks in and is like, hey, we're super weird. Can you help us find out who we are as artists? Two wildly different processes. Wildly different processes. One of them is going to have a lot of revisions. The other might not have any. So, man, this is a whole complicated ball of wax. So let's just move back here and just talk about the very beginning of most people's careers. A lot of our listeners are pretty early on. They haven't made their first dollar. They haven't made their first thousand dollars. They're still pretty in the early phases, and they are probably in this first phase. They're in the imitation phase. And I think it's worth addressing because, like I said, most people I know that are successful now started out that way, including you and I. And I think it's worth talking about when is this okay and when is it not okay? Where's the limit when it comes to just imitating or ripping off other people in the music world? Well, I think this comes back ultimately to an even deeper issue at hand here than your career as an audio engineer. I think it really comes back to what is art, what is an artist, and what is good art? And like these are really important questions that we can only gloss over. You could have a whole podcast dedicated to this, and I'm sure there are many. But the fascinating thing here is that you ultimately have to consider what is art. And when you're imitating and you are, you know, much more in student mode, that's all well and that's fine, but ultimately you have to, and this is tough. I think you have to beg the question when you're just imitating, are you making art? I would say no. I mean, honestly, there's some creativity with it, but I don't think you're making art. And I think that's the trap that people get into is they're so focused on achieving the exact mix or the exact sound with a songwriting session or the exact sound of an instrument or the exact tone of a guitar or whatever it is they're trying to achieve. They're looking for getting that exact replicated sound instead of focusing on what the best sound is for that specific project. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason that people do this is because it's way easier to simply rip off what your favorite thing is. It's way easier to do that than to decide and have the creativity to figure out what is the truly best sound for that specific artist two completely different things. And if you never get out of this phase, you never really reap the rewards that come with doing audio full-time. And that is the reward of not just money, but creating great art. And if you're stuck just ripping people off, you're never creating great art. Yeah. If you finish a mix or you finish a master or production or whatever, and you're like, man, 
that sounds exactly like that band's favorite song or that it sounds exactly like my favorite band. That I'm sure is somewhat fun. Yes. But man, when you have that moment of you're like, this is weird and beautiful and amazing and nothing's ever sounded like this before and I love it, that is a thousand times more fun, at least for me, I can't speak for everybody, than to just be like, sweet, I made a really good imitation. So I think it's worth for us to define here and say to people who are in the imitation stage, that's not bad. What's bad is getting stuck in the imitation stage. Yes, exactly. Like I said, I was just ripping off my favorite mixing engineer and my favorite producer when I first started. Chris was ripping off his favorite person when he got started. We're not going to name names here. Ed Cash. Okay, we are going to name names here. (laughs) And I love you, Ed. And we did great starting out, but at the end of the day, neither of us sound like the people we were going after when we first started. We instead found our own sound. And Chris and I had a discussion about this. What do we do to kind of get out of this stage? What do we do to eventually move away from just imitating and ripping off these people? And it was really kind of the same answer. We stopped listening to those people because here's what the situation is. Like in my world, I would listen to nothing but those artists and those bands that that person produced and mixed. And so that was all my influence. That's the only thing I was taking in. And so everything I did was compared to that. And if everything I did didn't match up to that, I was a failure and I wasn't very good. And that's not the right way to look at it. What you should be doing is measuring your work against what you prefer and what you like and the bar you set for yourself. And it's not going to be exactly like someone else because you are not that person. There's no way on earth you're going to sound exactly like them. So what you need to do is focus on finding your own sound. And both of Chris and I did the same thing when we were trying to find our own sound is we stopped listening to outside sources. We only listened to our own mixes, our own masters when we were trying to break away from that. And for like a two-year period, the only thing I listened to was my own work. That's exactly, pretty much identical. I'm back into listening to other songs, other musicians again. But let me tell you a great story. We were going to say this for a little bit later in the episode, but I think it's really appropriate now. So the way that you find your own sound is you have the courage to say, this is what I think it should be. It's easy for me as a mastering engineer doing the free sample thing because I'm just like, this is what I think it should be. Here's the free sample. If you like it, hire me. If you don't, sorry. And there's a great story in the Walter Isaacson, Steve Jobs biography. So it's that super duper bestseller from years ago. Really great, really fantastic book. And there's a story in there where Steve Jobs has been kicked out of Apple. He started a new company called Next. And he reaches out to this designer named Paul Rand. Paul Rand is like the king of logos. If you want a logo for your company, Paul Rand was and still is the dude. And I don't think he's still alive, but like he's still like the watermark. He's still the best there ever was. And Steve sits down with Paul Rand and he says, you know, I want you to design three logos for my company. And then I'm going to pick which one I think is the best. And in flamboyant fashion, Paul Rand slams his hand on the desk and says, no, I will design one logo for you. You may either use it or not use it. And it will cost $100,000. The balls on that man. Yeah, dude. So Steve Jobs is like, okay, okay, go for it. And like, that's such a great story because Paul Rand had faith in himself in his well, to put it in our terms, his sound. For him, it was his look. that He was like, I'm going to do what I think it needs done. And there's a little bit of room for wiggle once we're there. But no, I'm going to do what I believe is right. And if you like it, that's great. If you don't, go away. And that's awesome, man. That's kick ass. And I think for us as audio engineers, finding your sound, flipping to this next phase of innovation, 
is having the courage to look a client in the eye and to say, this is the way I think this should sound. I think when you start making that transition from imitation to innovation, when you start getting out of that early phase that a lot of people never get out of, they are constantly stuck in that phase due to their own lack of self-awareness or their own willingness to move out and experiment with their own sound. People get stuck in that world because they have artists coming to them all the time wanting someone else's sound. And you will never get out of the phase of imitation if all you're doing is bending to the will of artists who want nothing more than to sound exactly like someone else. I'll tell you right now, the best mixes that I've done in my life have come from the artists that came in that had no input on what they wanted their stuff to sound like. They just came in with their songs. They said, we trust you, Brian. You do what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And they allowed me to create my own sound for that artist based on what I thought was best. Awesome. And you're not going to get every artist like that. But I'll tell you right now, those artists are then the artists that other artists come to me and say, (laughs) hey, make us sound like them. That's awesome. That's another trap you can get into. You get stuck in phase two, the innovation phase. You get stuck in that phase, by the way, if you only recreate a sound you made in your past for every new artist that comes in. So you have to constantly be willing to tell a band, no, you are not this band. You are that band. You are not band A, you are band B. And so I will make you sound like band B. If you want to sound like band A, go join that band. And that's hard to say to artists. That's very hard to say to artists, but it's the necessary thing to say if you ever want to get out of the phase two innovation and get into phase three domination. Well, and there's an interesting thing there. And I think that it's our job as people in the artist services business to care for and encourage artists. And one of the best ways that we can do that is to encourage artists that what people really want is who they actually are. I think great art comes from the center of an artist's existence. When you look at it, you're like, that is you. That's you in a song. That's you in a picture. That's you in a logo. This brings a question up. What do you do when artists, when they come in and they don't really know what their sound is or they or they have this really bad image stuck in their head of what they think they want to sound like and you have a completely different image. How do you, Chris, approach that conversation that is not an easy conversation to have? Do you slam your fist on the table and say, you will sound like this. The cost will be $100,000. You can take it or not. (laughs) Is that how you approach it? It's kind of unfair for me to preach about this because as a mastering engineer, like I've set my business model up in a way where like, hey, if I do a sample for them and they don't like it, they don't hire me. I don't have to worry about that. It's true. Honestly, you know, I'm a mastering engineer. I love it. It's absolutely a blast. But one of the things I miss the most about producing is the opportunity to look an artist in the eye and to say, I see something in you. And it's, you are not that other band. You're something different. And you will be successful if you figure out who that is. Let me help you. I miss that. That's fun. I haven't produced a band since 2015, and I do miss that part as well. But I still get a lot of that in the mixing world because I'm still having a lot of creative input on the overall final product because mixing still has a lot of things you can do to completely shape the sound. Very true. Whereas mastering, you don't have as much creative control because you just get one wave file and you have to do with it what you can. And then if it doesn't turn out great, you can always blame it on the mix engineer. (laughs) I've never done that ever. (laughs) Yeah, it is a thing where like, it's so much easier for me. And it's unfair for me to preach about this as a mastering engineer, because it's, there's a little less leeway to the left and to the right. I'm like, I think it should sound like this. My goal is always, I always say this to people is to bring out the soul of a song. 
I think that should be all of our goals. You cannot bring out the soul of a song, no matter what your job is in this process of making a record, if you're trying to make them sound like somebody else. You can't bring out someone else's soul in the song that isn't theirs. It just it doesn't work that way. I'm going to play the devil's advocate here. Go for it. Because if you listen to the top 50 on Spotify or God forbid the radio, if you still listen to that these days, it's pretty clear to see that everything is just a rip off of something else. And so if we are talking about making money, which is what our podcast tends to be about, where's the line between what is profitable and marketable in a commercial sense and what is a ripoff? Because that, that has to be said that everything on the radio that you hear is pretty much a ripoff of what was big a month ago. And so where's the fine line between making money and selling out and creating great art there? Awesome question. Here's what I would say to that. Imitation has a big downside. And that big downside is monster amounts of work, monster amounts of revisions, no flow state. You don't get into a flow state imitating. You get into a flow state, a spot where you're making art and it just comes out of you spontaneously. You get in a flow state when you're creating something new and beautiful that the world's never heard before. And a flow state makes you a lot more money per hour than any other state that you can be in. So when you're imitating, you're not going to hit flow state. There's going to be a lot of experimentation. It's going to be frustrating if you're imitating. Yeah, very, very frustrating if you're imitating. Not only that, there's probably going to be a ton of revisions. Because you're in the situation where this is actually, I can talk about this with authority, is that the client's like, but I wanted to sound like Led Zeppelin. Like, yeah, but we're in the mixing stage and you're listening to a mastered version of a Led Zeppelin song. So calm down. We're not there yet. Like that's, ooh, that's challenging. Yeah, that's triggering me right now. Just like I'm getting (laughs) heated just thinking about those, (laughs) like my past when I had bands in the studio and they're freaking out about something that I'm like, chill the fuck out. We're, we're not even like 16% of the way there yet. Like, let's keep going and then you can freak out as we get wrapping this thing up. Well, let's go back to what you're initially talking about. So I think to sum up what you're saying, you're just like, well, but if you can make a lot of money imitating, should you? Yeah, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a niche imitating and you're like, man, I'm awesome at this. If you want to sound like you recorded this in 1960, I can make that happen more power to you. I seriously salute you. It's the most difficult thing you could possibly do in audio, in my opinion. Yeah. If we're really being honest here, I think that third phase, the domination phase, is basically that. You have achieved a sound that everyone wants. You're the flavor of the week or the month of the year. Everyone's going to come to you for that sound, and they're going to keep paying you top dollar for that sound until that sound is no longer of service to the industry. Yeah. And I've seen this play out for a lot of people. I've had this conversation with a lot of different producers where someone was the producer of the year, one year, and then they're penniless the year after that. This happens all across the board. This is why I'm big on having multiple sources of income, like my courses, like real estate, because I don't want to be dependent on being the flavor of the week. That's so interesting that you're talking about multiple sources of income, because if you do define your sound, you can get stuck back in the imitation game if yes. you're like, crap, okay, my niche is out of style. I have to start again. And I have to start saying yes when I shouldn't say yes. Yeah, I, and I've experienced this as well. So this this is way outside the scope of our original outline, but I think we're getting to good stuff here. So we're just going to keep going. I will say that when you reach this, you get back into the first phase. You reach the domination phase and then you get stuck into the imitation phase, but now you're just imitating yourself. 
I didn't even think about this being a fourth phase, but it's like a re-imitation phase. This is where you have to stop listening to your own mixes, have to stop listening to your own music because you have to keep getting inspiration from the outside world because if you're not continually getting inspiration, you are going to become stagnant in your own sound. And once that sound is no longer in vogue, you're now broke. No one wants to come to you. No one wants to pay you. I just think that it's definitely worth mentioning when you start talking about the sound that is in demand, that's its own trap. Yeah. So we might edit this out, but I've got a super duper nerd story. It's one of my favorite stories. Well, I can tell you right now, we're not going to edit it out because (laughs) if it's a super duper nerd story, we want to hear it, Chris. Well, I read a story a pretty long time ago and- And that's the end of the story. We edited it out. Sorry, guys. That's the end of the story. (laughs) And there was a famous composer, I forget his name, but this is like back in Victorian era. And he wrote this symphony and it was critically acclaimed. Everybody loved it. But then something interesting started to happen. The music critics of the day began having like heated arguments in the newspapers about what the music was actually about. And there's no words, you know, it was just classical music, no singing. And they would just go back and forth about, oh, it's about victory or, oh no, it's about love and loss. And they'd go back and forth and back and forth. And finally, one of these critics asked the composer point blank and he said, you know, sir, there's been a lot of debate about what your music, what this piece of music is actually about. Do you feel that that means that your music was not specific enough? And the composer shot back this amazing zinger and he said, no, it means that words are not specific enough. Mm. And what he's saying is music is a more precise language than words. I believe that's that to my awesome. core. That's so cool. I think that I believe in God and I think that someday we will fully understand the language of music. That's exciting to me. I look forward to that time. And whether you believe in God or not, you can believe in the emotions that music yep. can incite inside of you. And no one would deny that certain music makes you feel sad. Certain music makes you feel happy. Certain music makes you feel terrified. And no other thing aside from words, has that sort of pull on our emotions. And even not even words, you know, you listen to like a certain piece of music and you're like, oh man, I've got the feels and I don't understand why. And I see that with my kids. When my wife and I sing together, she has this incredible voice. And what we have found is that our kids sometimes, especially when they were younger, like one, one and a half, would get all emotional when we, you know, play music in our home and they wouldn't know why and it scared them. And they'd be like, stop, 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 stop. Like, and it wasn't because it sounded bad, though it might have. But It, it might was, have. We never know. I haven't heard you sing before. Chris. It was this weird emotion of like, oh, this music is evoking an emotion and I don't understand why and I'm getting freaked out and that's uncomfortable. And like, I understand that. So I don't know. So like, the reason I tell this story is that when you are imitating, it's very difficult to be specific with music because you're just yanking vocabulary words and reassembling them almost at random So in my opinion, you know, music is a language we only understand in part. This is sort of my theological theory here. And music is a language we only understand in part. That essentially, when we make music now, we're saying goo goo gaga, goo goo gaga. (laughs) We're we're talking like babies. And occasionally it makes sense. Wah wah, dad, dad, mama. (laughs) Occasionally there are are bits when it like really makes sense. And I think that there are, you know, some songs... Sorry, I'm full nerd here. Carmina Burana is this like It's it's like you you've heard it on like it's one of the most epic sounds yeah. of all yeah. time when like 
the clouds of hell, the fires of the when, like the fires of hell are erupting and the army of Mordor is closing in and all hell is about to fall upon you. That's the soundtrack for that. Yeah, like that song evokes an emotion and there very clearly is some sort of secret language that the composer of that song got right. And we all, on some level, we understand it when we hear it, but we can't necessarily speak it back. So like my kids, when they're really young, understood so much more than they could actually speak. I'm the same way with Spanish. I can go into a Spanish restaurant. I can look at a menu. I know what I'm doing with the menu. But if I have to like actually speak it, it's, just, it's a train wreck. It's absolutely awful. I can only imagine. Yeah. So there's this idea there that some songs, we understand that they're saying something, but to just take pieces of that song and reassemble it as an imitation, often the song doesn't say anything. And as a result, there's no emotional response. But to bring this back home, that still doesn't mean there's not money to be had in it. So it's like, that's true. (laughs) It depends on what type of business you want to have, because I'll tell you right now, if you want to go down the route of picking bits and pieces of songs, having no emotional tie to them, just creating a formulaic sound that matches what's hot today. That's not a fulfilling business. That's not something that's going to bring you joy every day and not something you're going to look forward to doing when you wake up and something you, you look back on with proudness when you go to bed. And so if you want to build a business that just brings in money and has no fulfillment, go right ahead, be my guest. But that's not really what we teach on this podcast. Chris and I try to build businesses that we can be proud of and that we love to do and that we wake up with excitement every day to do. And that's why this episode is an episode we are doing because we are trying to help you stay away from being in a cheap imitation. We're trying to keep you away from being stuck in the imitation phase. Yeah, helping you mature through it. Helping you grow and mature and not be perpetually stuck as a cheap imitation of something else or someone else. So let's keep going down this road. I had my little nerd out uh, there, so I, that's out of my system. So let's be more functional here. At least I'll try to yeah, be less creative. I'll be Chris. more fun- functional. Stay in the box here. Stay in the box. No more creativity from Chris. So um, this kind of next <laughs> item on our outline here about innovation is that innovation is often the combination of imitations. So if you're like, you know what, I'm going to make rock music, but it's going to hit in the low end like hip hop music. I'm going to replace the kick drum with 808s. I agree with that. I've seen this in my own, like the metal production world. We've gone through different phases where different things from different genres have found its way into our world and that's created its own innovation. So I agree with that to an extent because then you start just pulling random crap in that doesn't make sense and it's terrible or you start imitating what you hear other people do and then it's just another knockoff yeah. of that. So there's, again, there is, there's even imitation within innovation, which is a hard thing to grasp, but it's definitely something I see. Yeah, so, and that's always an interesting thing to me when like you look at, there was a kind of a hip hop group, like please forgive me, I'm not like massive into hip hop here, but there was a hip hop group when I was in high school called Blackstreet and Blackstreet was like a hard rock rap band. It's kind of like Limp Bizkit or is it like? No, like Limp Bizkit, no offense to anybody, like was was really only for white kids. <laughs> and like Blackstreet- That's racist, Chris. I feel offended as a white male. <laughs> Blackstreet was more accessible from an urban perspective. Another example of that is Rage Against the Machine. Ooh, yeah. Man, Rage Against the Machine is probably the best example. If they took That two, is a really good example. Oh man, like Bulls on Parade, in my opinion, is one of the greatest songs of all time. And like, man, you feel that in your bones when they combine hip hop- with whatever kind of rock. If everyone listening to this podcast can, go look up. There's like an original video from like the 90s of 
Rage Against the Machine playing at some like record store in front of like 150 people. It's a tiny show. It's like when they first got started. It's like the first recorded video of that band. This was like right before their big breakout album album came out. They had a little cult following. But if you watch that, you can tell from the very beginning as a local band, they're all young as hell. You knew that there was something special and that they were going to be famous just on that video. And that to me, when you have the feeling you get when you watch that video, that to me is a sign of someone that is not imitating. It's someone that is innovating. Yeah. And that's the way I want people to feel when they're creating music. That's great. And I think your reaction when you see something like that should be cool. The word cool means, wow, I, I ain't never seen that before. Yes. You know, that's another way of saying, I ain't seen that before, man. That's real cool. Yeah. I want to say that that video, if my assistant does a great job, it should be in our show notes at the sixfigurehomestudio.com slash 55. That's slash five, five. That Rage Against the Machine video will be in the show notes. Totally. Well, this sort of combination of imitations is interesting because you could be in a situation where you're like, I've got a really strong niche with country and I've got a really strong niche with heavy metal. Again, I'm mixing in both of these oh, genres. Oh God, that, that makes me cringe. Maybe. Yeah, I'd but probably. keep going. Keep going, Chris. Yeah. Keep going for the example's sake. You could be in a situation where you're like, I make almost all my money imitating two different people. Yeah. Great position to be in. If you can figure out how to dovetail those two imitations together, you might have a sound all your own. And it's the same with a band. You know, like, it's a, like look at Bro Country. Bro Country is yeah. nothing more than pop music with a redneck singing over it. That's basically it. Yeah, they took two things and they combined them together. And I'm going to butcher this. A lot of movies are created in this way. Where you're talking about Avatar is basically just Pocahontas? Yeah, like Avatar is like, it's Pocahontas in space. That's basically it, yeah. yeah. A lot of times, like a lot of great hit movies, that's the pitch. It's a sentence of like, it's the movie Speed on a submarine. You know, like, it's just, the, they take two things, two ideas, smash them together, and a new and interesting concept pops out the other yeah, end. But right now, like, Chris is just giving you some ideas of how you can potentially innovate. There is no formula for this. You can't overstate that enough. There is no formula for being creative. I think just to really bring this all home, if you are self-aware enough to realize that you are currently stuck in the imitation phase, it would behoove you. <laughs> it would benefit you to then start finding ways to innovate within your genre or within your service that you provide, whatever niche you're doing, if you niche at all, and start finding ways to innovate. Otherwise, you're going to continue to struggle if you are struggling right now, which if you're imitating, you're probably struggling. If you're not struggling financially, you're struggling mentally because you're having to continuously keep up with the Joneses and the clients you work with are a nightmare because they send you lists of revisions a thousand pages long. But if you are struggling Try to find ways to innovate because if anything, it'll bring more fulfillment for you, but hopefully bring more money as well because you are now answering the most important question that you can answer in your business, which we talked about on episode number 49 of the Six Figure Home Studio podcast, which is why should someone hire you instead of your competitor? This is just one of the many episodes that attempts to tackle that question. Yes. Brian, let me ask you a point Blake question. Yeah. What would your advice be to mix engineers who feel like they're trapped in the imitation game and they want to move into the innovation game, they're having trouble convincing artists to let them do their thing. What advice would you have for them? Here's the deal. If an artist is not letting you do your thing, why did they hire you? That's the question I'd have to ask those people because if you're a mixing engineer, you're not going to have a successful mixing engineering studio. You're not going to have a career out of this if you do not have a sound that is desirable. 
And if you achieve that desirable sound by just ripping off other people, that's a short-lived career. Your career will actually last less time than the person who you're ripping off. Ooh. That's an unsustainable model. So if you want to ever have your own sound, you have to be willing to turn work down or to be a little bit more adamant about creating your own sound when you're working with artists or else you will continue to be stuck on this treadmill of, yeah, I got paid, but it's because I could make this band sound like this one artist. When bands come to me and ask me to make them sound like someone else's mix, I'll give specific examples in this because anyone that knows the metal world will know what I'm talking about. Anyone that doesn't know metal will still understand what I'm talking about. I am Brian Hood. If someone comes to me, they should want some variation of a Brian Hood mix, my sound mixed with their band that should hopefully create that band's own unique sound. If they come to me wanting to sound like another band, that's a conversation where I say, you are not that band. Go join that band if you want to sound like that. I'm going to make you sound like your own band. But what occasionally I'll get is a band that comes to me and says, we want to sound like this Will Putney mix. We want to sound like North Lane, a band that Will Putney mixed. Great band, great mix, love it. But I will always say every single time, if you want to sound like that, go hire Will Putney to mix your record because I will not make your stuff sound like that. Not only do I not want to make it sound like that because that's not my sound, I am incapable of making it sound like that. At the very best, it's just going to be a cheap ripoff of a Will Putney mix because that's not how my stuff sounds. And so there is a balance between not progressing out of your sound that I have to fight with myself while also not trying to rip off someone else. Very fine line to ride, but I'm just saying you have to be willing to tell bands, no, that's not what you do and you're probably not a good fit for me. That's my long answer for the question of what do you do when someone wants to sound like someone else is, tell them to go hire that other person. Well, and here's sort of some interesting kind of feedback on that. If you as an engineer, you podcast listener are struggling that you are stuck in the imitation game, but also struggling to feeling like you're not very good at it, that doesn't mean you're a bad audio engineer. You might be amazing at doing your own thing. I'm going to go ahead and stop you right there. I have a mixing course. I have a mixing course called From Shit to Gold. If you want to take it, go to fromshittogold.com. I never push that thing. It's a couple years old now, but I have people who went through that course and they send me mixes and they tell me that they just can't get it to sound right because they're trying to rip off my sound. I and mean, that's why people end up joining that course is because they want to imitate my sound. But what I've noticed is there are guys that have gone through that that try to get me to critique their mixes or crit their mixes is what we call it in our world. It's a very, it's kind of an annoying thing. Crit my mix, bro. But when I listen to it, it's better than anything that I could do. It's got its own cool sound. It's better than my own mixes, but they don't have the awareness to understand that they have their own awesome, cool, unique sound. What they think they have is a cheap ripoff of my sound when they actually have their own sound. They just don't own it yet. They have the self-confidence and self-awareness to own their own sound instead of just trying to rip off my sound. And so that's just something I want to leave everybody with is you may be great at what you do. You just don't realize it yet. And until you find really the right artist that matches your sound, you may not really have a breakthrough record or a breakthrough album until you find that right combination of your sound with the right artist. So that is it for this episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. My question for you now is this. What was your main takeaway? What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do to stop ripping people off? (laughs) Again, I don't want to pass any judgment on those of you who are simply ripping off other producers. Again, because Chris and I both started out this way. A lot of successful producers that I know all started off just ripping off, or we can just say uh, for a better word, taking creative guidance from our peers. But I'm hoping this episode will kind of kick you into gear 
when it comes to actually moving away from that and finding your own unique sound, whether you're mixing or mastering or producing or songwriting or doing the whole package, you're finding some way to set yourself apart from the person that you gain your initial influence from as far as your sound. So this podcast, as you know, has no sponsors right now. We are a fully self-funded podcast. And that means that neither Chris or I get paid to produce this podcast, at least directly. And so my ask for the audience here is for you to go to chrisgrammastering.com, take a song that you want to at least test out a master on and send it to him to do a test master. And then if you like it, hire him, give him your money, give him your hard earned dollars. He's an awesome mastering engineer an even better dude. And uh, he didn't ask me to do this. So I'm just actually uh, throwing a little plug in here for chrisgrammastering.com just because I want to take care of my dude. So if you have some songs that you want to get mastered or you want to test the waters on having someone else master your own songs, go to chrisgrammastering.com and send him your tracks. Whoa. 